It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. If you have heard the acronym CRT, then you know critical race theory is getting a lot of attention in America. But you're about to meet a woman who has done the work. She's done the deep dive on the details to help us understand what this is all about. And today, this is her story. Alina Kaplan, welcome to our program. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, By way of introduction, you're calling in from Foster City, Bay Area, California. Uh, But you were born in Minsk, Belarus, came to the U.S. at the age of 11. So your experience and your impressions of life at a very young age come from the former Soviet Union. So the way you look at this in itself is very unique. But I had you on TV the other week and you said two years ago, my eyes were popping out of my head. And then on the phone, you said it's all theory until you see how it plays out in the classroom. That's where we begin. What is going on in the classroom? Well, thank you for that introduction. That summarizes um, where things started for me personally. And the as I dove more into what is happening in the classroom, we got more and more examples of um, whether it's a biracial child who is coming home and saying, why is daddy oppressing mommy? Or a Cuban child that comes home and says that his teacher told him that he's not a real Latino because he said that they fled communism and socialism. Um, one example after another where we see how this practice of dividing up kids into two buckets Either you're in the oppressor bucket or the victim bucket, and then pitting them against each other plays out in the classroom. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but that extends into other subjects, including math, for example. So you discovered, and this is, I I think the value in the conversation here is to get the examples that you have found out on your own. So you discovered how all the ideology is infused into all subjects. And let's start with math. What is ethnomathematics? So this one was a particularly crazy one for me. A lot of this uh, I've shared with you before was um, really an exercise in thinking that you're losing your mind because some of this that I learned as a teen, a preteen in the former Soviet Union is coming back reflected to me in a completely different iteration. Um, math is a particularly crazy one because we have currently a math framework that is making its way through the State Board of Education. And in it, one of the things that was proposed in one of the drafts was to identify and challenge the ways that math is used to uphold capitalist, imperialist, and racist views. Um, in another state, in Seattle School District, for example, they have already implemented something called ethnomathematics, and they 
talk about that the idea that white supremacy shows up in math, including when teachers focus on getting the right answer and require students to show their work. So um, we're talking about a framework that permeates through every subject, not just ethnic studies, which is the particular area that we focused on. Mm-hmm. So um, you, by you, the way, yeah. but, um, areas that it also talks about in this particular framework is the characteristics of white supremacy culture are individualism, objectivity, and meritocracy. Okay, well, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, stick the math for a moment. You, you say there's, there's a proposal in California to remove advanced math until the grade of 11. That's junior in high school. Why would that be? Um, So for the details of the reasoning, uh, you'd probably have to ask the folks that are pushing this. But I can say that in the name of equity, the idea has been that we will, rather than raising the level of underperforming students, we will get everybody on the same level instead. And therefore, we will have an equitable situation. Mm. Sorry, what's that about? What's the intent Um, there? Well, so currently, we have a situation where Black and Latino students, on average, are behind their white and Asian counterparts. Now, let's be clear, there are plenty of Black and Latino math whizzes whose parents are deeply offended by the notion that advanced math classes have to be removed for them. Um, the logical conclusion of the discrepancy, of course, is let's get them more resources, let's brainstorm solutions, let's raise the level of these kids. Instead, the CRT ideology dictates that we should lower the level of those performing at average or above level, or in the words of my friend, Dr. Wen Yun Wu, making education a race to the bottom. Why is why would that be a priority? Well, you'd have to look at the roots of CRT and some of the socialist Marxist basis of it. And I think that the equity concept and the idea that everybody it should be at the same, gets the same thing at the same level is probably the root of how this is playing out. So, for example, I've noticed that one of the things that immigrants from socialist countries have always appreciated in coming to the U.S. is the idea that certain subjects like math are taught based on the student's needs and the student's level. In communist socialist regimes, everyone was always on the same level. Now, that level, by the way, happened to be quite high for math. Um, But regardless of developmental delays or mathematical genius status, you all took the same math. But now we're apparently replicating that here in California Except that we're at a lower level mm, because wow. we're attempting to get everybody at the same level. What do you think your um, upbringing in Belarus, what, what perspective did it enable you to have when, as I understand it, parents started calling you two years ago, and as I quoted you earlier, your eyes started popping out of your head, you start looking at the curriculum and you spot what based on your own childhood? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the guiding principles, I'll give you two examples. One of them is looking at the guiding principles, which basically spell out the roadmap for ethnic studies. And I was looking at the ethnic studies model curriculum draft for California uh, and thinking that, okay, well, 
this should be reasonable because the bill that established it said, this is a bill called AB 2016, said that its intent is to build bridges of interethnic understanding and to foster an appreciation for contributions of multiple cultures. Okay, well, that's kind of mom and apple pie, so what can go wrong? Then I start seeing things like in the guiding principles, we're looking at the idea that capitalism is listed along with racism as a form of power and oppression. Okay, we get language that refers to a truer democracy, which I think most Americans would just pass by, but anybody that is familiar with Marxist ideology understands that that is a term, a Marxist term for the abolition of private property. So all of this language is in the guiding principles. And sure enough, by the way, I'll fast forward for a moment. When we look at teacher trainings that are happening here in California, we actually have PowerPoints where there's a diagram where private property, genocide, religion, and racism are all circles, equivalent circles around imperialism. And educators are told in this training that although the Marxist ideology might scare people away, educators have to be, quote, grounded in the correct politics to educate students. Mm. Capitalism, I understand, is is not mentioned at all. It's referred to as an oppressive economic system. Um, is that capitalism, true? So what happened is when this draft first came out, the initial draft, there was a lot of pushback from those that found out about it. And there were un a huge number of issues with it. One of them, one of the many, was the idea of referring to capitalism as being equivalent to racism. So one of the um, methods that was taken by in, in creating the final curriculum was to replace, simply leave the wording, but re replace the words capitalism with exploitative economic systems. Oh. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how, how much that did, but the idea is that we're still equating racism with these exploitative economic systems, which I think most adults would understand what they're referring to. Sure. You also mentioned the Jewish perspective. That is talked about a lot in the curriculum. Why? Um, so it was, it's not talked about in the curriculum itself, it was discussed as part of the controversy that surrounded. And the anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism that are inherent in some of these movements, some of these CRT-based movements like the Third World Liberation Front, are something that's reflected in the initial drafts of the ESMC, the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum. Now, I should pause here and say that while the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum got passed, there is a different version of Ethnic Studies that's based on the initial draft that created all the controversy. So this is a version that created so much controversy and so many public officials spoke out that Governor Newsom Governor Gavin Newsom came forward and said, this draft will never see the light of day. And now here we are several months later with this draft happily marching its way through California and make no doubt about it through other states. 
um, what's happening is that the people that were responsible for that initial version were so upset about the changes that were made, such as tweaking those words, such as adding the words that there needs to be some balance in the curriculum, that they requested to have their names removed from the Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum and started their own group called Liberated Ethnic Studies. And that's the one that's truly the CRT-based uh, curriculum that we're talking about, although certainly the model curriculum also has particular elements. Well, you, you have really, I'm, I mentioned at the top that you've really done your homework on this. I understand that two years ago, you co-founded an organization called the Alliance for Constructive Ethnic Studies, also known as ACES for the acronym. And the reason you did that is because parents were coming to you with questions about, have you seen this? And early on this conversation, you said a friend or a colleague said, why is dad oppressing mom? Um, and the uh, it was a question about a 10-year-old child of biracial parents. So you start to dig into this stuff and you recognize it as Marxism. Yeah, so it was a combination of things. Um, first of all, one of the things that a lot of us thought independently. So we kind of came, we're a grassroots group and we came together independently. And one of the things that we had as a thought was, how can this possibly be? The intent of that bill was perfectly positive. When I say the words ethnic studies without knowing what it could mean, I think most people would assume ethnic studies. Okay, you learn about different ethnicities and you want to build bridges and yes, you talk about racism, but you don't do it in a way that divides kids into buckets and pits them against each other. So we formed, we started coming coalescing around this concept that, wait a second, there's got to be a better way. And the more we heard from people of how this plays out in the classroom, um, and the more we started delving in, in a little bit, I'll, I'll give you one more example that I wanted to tell you uh, in a Salinas curriculum uh, of how this plays out in the actual curriculum. The more we heard about it, the more we thought, okay, let's look at how else this can be implemented. And sure enough, we found that there are constructive ethnic studies models, such as in the Los Angeles Unified School District, and they talk about focusing on, quote, the experiences, histories, cultures, struggles, and accomplishments of specific ethnic racial groups within American history and society with an emphasis on truth and healing through empathy and education. Really? Okay. That's what you and I would expect it to be. And yet, Instead, we have this completely different model that is marching through the state of California that uses only this victim-oppressor lens and focuses on a particular narrow ideology, specifically Marxism. Mm. So ACES was formed with the idea that we would work to remove political agendas from ethnic studies and enable curricula that do build bridges of understanding, fight racism, and inspire appreciation for ethnic groups' contributions. Okay. Um, what's the example in Salinas, California? Then? Yeah, thank you. That, that's what I was sure. going to um, mention. So in the process of reviewing curricula, um, this one uh, was another example that completely 
made me made my eyes pop out. Um, this is from Salinas Union High School District's Introduction to Ethnic Studies, which includes the song Malcolm Garvey Huey. And I'll read you a few lines from it, and I apologize in advance for the crassness. I study Malcolm Garvey Huey, Monster Cody with a Uzi. I'm a goon with a machete, especially if it's deadly. Got the Santos for the Z to protect me, so respect me. Call me little Bobby Hutton because I'm first to push the button. Rappers don't be saying nothing to the system we say F-M, and the F word is spelled out. Now, here are who these people are that are mentioned. Monster Cody was a brutally violent L.A. gang member. Santos was a violent gang over, um, seen by a Mexican mafia, and Bobby Hutton was uh, ambushed the Oakland police, wounding two officers. So this is what we're putting out mm. in a curriculum to students. Mm-hmm. I can understand this. I don't know how you feel about it. If you want to debate it as theory at the college level, but the suggestion is that this is K through 12, correct? That's right. So we as ACEs um, don't get involved in debating the issue of CRT in general. It's a legal theory. It's been taught for decades in law schools, and it should be taught just as any theory can be taught to teach and examine. And by the way, um, there are other race theories that are taught. Um, CRT sees all of society's ills through the single lens. It's a racial one. Okay, so you examine the theory among many others. But what we're now talking about is pushing this very specific ideological theory into K-12 schools and not just teaching about it, but making it the ideological framework. And that's where the problems how, how did this happen in America? Boy, that is a question that we get all the time, because when you step back, you have to wonder how in the world could this have happened? So it turns out that there is a field in academia called critical ethnic studies. Um, it's called ethnic studies, but the version, it's a very particular brand of ethnic studies that is taught on college campuses. And the practitioners of this discipline aim to, quote, bring into conversation the ways that concerted efforts and collectivized resistance to U.S. imperialism ground our approaches for dismantling the neocolonial schooling apparatus. Wow. Okay. So it's an all-pervasive, singular, ideological framework. The practitioners of this framework actually call themselves scholar-activists. Um, they wanted to push this down, this ideology down into K-12 schools. In California, after that bill was passed, there was um, a committee that was established, an advisory committee that was going to be established to oversee the creating of this model curriculum. The Instructional Quality Commission, uh, IQC, which is responsible for appointing this committee, um, ended up having one of its members who is an activist, a scholar activist, and is a, a critical ethnic studies proponent. And by the way, use, when I use the term critical ethnic studies, it's the synonymous with liberated ethnic studies, which is synonymous with CRT-based ethnic studies. So um, this activist ended up nominating the majority of people to this advisory, advisory commission, uh, sorry, the advisory task force. So here was this advisory committee that was ended up being filled with the vast majority being 
critical ethnic studies activists. Now, later on, the Department of Education, the California Department of Education, admitted that this was a problematic process. It was a flawed process. Of course, normally they don't want activists pushing a particular agenda into a curriculum, and they've put things into, they put methods into place to prevent it from happening again, which is all very nice and good, except that it didn't address this particular issue. And so we ended up with this draft that had to be really needed to be completely rewritten, but instead was kind of massaged and worked through to remove the most obvious, the most damaging, the most offensive components. Mm. Wow. At one point you said, we're screaming, wake up, wake up, um, to the country and to parents. In a moment, I want to find out whether or not that's happening. Back in a moment on Hammer Time. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Back here with Alina Kaplan. She is the co-founder of ACES. And just by way of introduction again, you've had a career in executive management. You work for a nonprofit social services organization. You've got a background at Oracle in Northern California. You've got degrees from Stanford and Duke. So your your resume is long, as well as a mother uh, of two young adults and married living in Foster City, California. One time you told me, Elena, you said the more people discover, the more they find out, the more they say, this is crazy. Explain that. So when we created ACES, we started from a very key premise, which is if the vast majority of Americans, Californians, Americans, um, knew what was being pushed in the form of CRT-based ethnic studies or CRT-based pedagogy, they would not want it, and you and I would not be having this conversation. And so our job has become shining a big giant light on this to say, look what is happening. And although a lot of these words are theoretical and we talk about, you know, um, the, we talk about the capitalism aspect being equivalent with racism and so on, it resonates with people when we give them, for example, the role models that are listed in the ethnic study, in ethnic studies curricula. So for instance, past 
um, there was a chapter in one of the drafts that is currently actually in the form of liberated ethnic studies uh, that had role models, people of color, that list 154 role models. The list was dominated by Marxist and and or violent figures. Who was missing? So first of all, I'll tell you that people that we had were ones like Oscar Lopez Rivera, who is a leader of the Marxist-Leninist organization that carried out over 130 U.S. bombings. So this is the type of people that are in there. But then the question is, okay, who's missing? Guess what? Martin Luther King is missing. So we've got a list of 154 role models of color. There's no Martin Luther King. There's no John Lewis. There's no Rosa Parks. There's no Thurgood Marshall. There's no Barack Obama. These are also all missing from the entire African-American section. Hmm. Uh, In fact, they're described in one of the resources as the civil rights leaders are described as being passive and docile. So then people look at this and their eyes pop out of their heads. It's not just me. And they do double takes and have to actually say, wait, what? Um, so this is what we mean when we talk about narrow ideology. I can use the word narrow ideology. It all sounds theoretical, but I encourage people to go to our website, calfstudies.org, and take a look at the role models because that's what will really drive it home for you when you see who's, who's on and who's off. I agree with you. That, that's, that example um, really frames the argument better than just about anything else I have heard to this point. Um, really, I, I saw a piece in Politico. They, I, I guess they interviewed you a few weeks ago or a month ago. Yes. And they said, Alina Kaplan's the kind of suburban mom who made Joe Biden president. I, um, you're a Democrat. You informed me of that live on TV. And I, I don't know. Yes. Is that important? Because as I'm listening to yes. you, I'm thinking black people can be offended. White people can be offended. Uh, Republicans could be offended. Democrats could be offended. It's almost like CRT has the potential to offend everyone. Wow. Well, you said it. I I think that's exactly right. And is it important? Yes, it's absolutely important because the proponents of CRT in education are insisting that anyone that opposes it just doesn't want to talk about racism. And they're painting it as a left-right issue. So... People that apparently don't want CRT in education, don't want to talk about racism or divisive issues in general, by the way. To us at ACES, this is both ridiculous and offensive because the majority of our leadership, almost all of our leadership, in fact, like me, are registered Democrats, are longtime Democrats, and we believe strongly in confronting and teaching about racism, and we oppose CRT in our schools. So, yes, we believe in building bridges of understanding and confronting racism. What we don't believe in is placing students into these boxes and pitting them against each other. And we don't believe in dictating a specific politicized ideology that elevates Marxism and violent separatist movements. I've just got a few more questions here. You mentioned Governor Newsom. Before he was a politician, he, he was a business owner. And I, I know he's a Democrat, but I think he's a capitalist first. So he comes into office in January of 2019. What has he said about this? Did he did he say that he would, he would knock it down and fight it back or not? Well, there are two aspects of this. One is when that initial draft 
of the ethnic studies model curriculum came out, he did make a statement that this draft will never see the light of day because it was so deeply offensive. Um, so the question would be, where is he now? But what's happening is that the final um, model curriculum that got passed removed some of the most blatant offensive pieces. And I can bet you that he and his staff aren't tracking the fact that this CRT-based curriculum, this liberated ethnic studies curriculum, is making its way through California because a bill that we have, by the way, it's called AB 101, that we have on the um going through the Senate, it's already passed the Assembly, is going to mandate that every public school and charter school student will take ethnic studies as a graduation requirement. And at the same time, it doesn't specify, the. there's nothing in there saying what kind of ethnic studies. So what we've been talking about today, the constructive versus, versus liberated critical CRT-based, None of that is in there. And so this liberated ethnic studies curriculum that you would expect Governor Newsom would be against is slipping in under the radar and very happily going through the state. And they're reaching wow. district by district and getting this into the do, do you think the members of the assembly understand what it's all about? No. Absolutely not. Mm. I think that they want to address racism. I think that they want to build bridges. I think that they want kids to learn about um, America's history with all its glory and warts and all. And they think they're doing what's right. However, I think they don't realize the wool that's being pulled over their eyes in the form of this particular model of ethnic studies. Well, I was thinking about COVID during all of this too. And I was thinking about Zoom and how classrooms likely, this is my theory, correct me if I'm wrong, but open the door more to this because the parents could hear the lessons and Zoom classes can be recorded. So the person teaching it now is taken outside the classroom to a degree where they have not been before. What do you think of that? 100%. There is no doubt that one thing that is starting to shine a light on this or was starting to shine a light on this is that parents were actually hearing and seeing what their kids were learning. And so, in fact, one of the one of the teachers that attended a teacher training in this liberated ethnic studies curriculum told us that a question was raised in the classroom that now that uh, we have lessons online, don't we have to be careful that parents will overhear what we're saying? <laughs> That's quite a statement that in teacher training we need to address how can you deal with parents overhearing what is being taught? Yeah, it's an indictment. Um, just a few more questions. What, what can parents or students do? What is your advice on that? The number one thing they can do is clarify with your school districts what type of ethnic studies or anything that goes under that rubric of ethnic studies they will be teaching. Because you can be sure that just about every school in America is starting to look at this. Ask by name, the type of ethnic studies, and ask to see the details. Okay, what are the options when you say, what type of ethnic studies are you offering? So you will hear the name liberated. You will hear the name probably CRT. 
you will hear the name critical. I will say that the name, the CRT label will be much more rare because some schools say it openly and others do not. Um, liberated, you will hear. Um, what you're looking for is something that is a constructive curriculum that does not focus on the colonialism imperialism that is really the purview of foreign policy classes. And uh, it's a good question of what to look for because if you go, so if you go to our website, calfstudies.org. Sorry, that is C-A-L-F, F as in Frank? E-T-H, E-T-H is ethnic. So C-A-L-E-T-H, studies.org. Got it. So Cal F Studies, California. And, and on your website, you'll find what? You'll find ways that you can pick up what is the CRT-based version versus what sounds like the constructive version. Mm-hmm. So look, ask what type of ethnic studies, but then go beyond. Look at the details look at the description that they give, and then look at our website to understand the code words, to understand the difference between different types of ethnic studies. And then really listen, not just to the pretty words that sound innocuous, but try to decode. And again, we can help both through the website and by reaching out to us. And in general, I have to say that I truly believe that what we're doing here is nothing short of deciding how the next generation of Americans will interact with each other. So get involved because otherwise we all fail. Oh, that's profound. Can you kill this movement? Um, I believe that if we can shine a big light on it and do what you're doing right now to let Americans know about the movement to bring CRT as an ideological framework into the classroom, then yes, we absolutely can bring it back to where it belongs in law schools. But in order to do that, it's going to require everybody to listen and to demand the information that they need to understand what is being taught in our schools. A fascinating conversation. You break it down in ways that's easy to understand. Alina, thank you for your time. Good luck. We will follow your path, and we will see whether or not you are successful over time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. Alina Kaplan, by way of Foster City, California. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.